Head of Oaks Fulton with Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, you got your first road trip of the year coming up uh, to a little town called Green Bay. I don't know, 100,000 people and a stadium that holds not quite that, but uh, but almost holds the whole town. I know you've been there before, one of the great venues in, uh, in football, but the bigger deal, Carlos, and you're going to tell us what's going to happen, is the Lions have a chance to win, take, take uh, sole place of the the uh, NFC North, the division, I think, uh, get to three and one for the first quarter. If you like to break the quarters of the season down to the quarters and uh, generally make Southeastern Michigan a very, very happy place for the next 10 or 11 days after the game. What's uh, what's going to happen? Well, what's going to happen is the first quarter of the season won't be played until uh, the first quarter of the next game, Sean, because, you know, they play 17. So uh, uh, you have to work on your math a little bit, I would say. But um, yeah, it's going to be. Lambeau's awesome. I mean, it's it's uh, if you haven't been there, you got to go once. Uh, if you're a Lions fan, even if you're an NFL fan, I'd say it's one of those venues people always talk about. Even uh, Dan Campbell even mentioned it, telling the rookies, telling the rookies uh, this week, make sure you soak it in and soak it up. And it's really, really unique atmosphere. It's a special place to play. Uh, the fans get really excited. Even the Lions fans who are there at the stadium, you can see they're enjoying it. They're chopping it up with the with the Green Bay fans. So um, it's great. Uh, this is what you want, right? I mean, both teams are actually playing pretty well. Uh, the Packers coming off a huge comeback win on Sunday against the Saints. Jordan Love is being compared to, yes, he's being compared to Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers for his uh, comeback ability. And uh, their defense is actually playing well for the Packers. But look at the Lions, right? Coming off another big win. Uh, holding the, the Falcons just two field goals, the offense playing pretty well. Um, it's uh, it's the perfect prime time, uh, eight fifteen p.m. kickoff uh, here in Detroit game on Thursday. So it should be, if nothing else, I hope it's a good game. I mean, I hope it's a it's a fun game and it goes a little back and forth. It's not a blowout. On I mean, I'm not a Lions fan, so I have no rooting interest. But I hope it's an entertaining game. I expect it to be and. Uh, should be close, don't you think? This is a is this almost a, a test, a good test for the Lions to see? You know, playing in enemy territory, prime time with, uh, you know, this time they ha- I guess they have their Travis Kelsey right and Jordan Love, so they're they're not missing a key player. Oh, I think it's a I think it's a, a real good test. Uh, first of all, yeah, it's a road game, a tough place to play. Green Bay's a uh, looks like a solid team. You know, maybe not a great team, but uh, you know, look, we we talked about this uh, ad nauseum. It's hard to win in the NFL. Right, I mean, it 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 just is. Every now and again, you get a team that goes winless, as Lions fans know, or wins one or two games. But but the other 27, 28 teams are not going to be easy to beat on the road if you're not a dominant, dominant team, right? So you you take out the couple of worst teams, you take out the couple of best teams most years, and those other 25, 26 teams are going to be in fourth quarter games uh, and in a struggle, in a fight, especially um, the road team. It's just kind of the nature of the of the, uh, of the way the NFL works. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, you go up there, you, you win that game, you're, you're feeling pretty good. Plus, you you know, you want to stay above, right now they're above 500, and I, you want to stay above that. Plus, the, you know, Carl's the expert. It's just funny how, how quickly this has all changed. I know it was doom and gloom after Seattle, but... I don't know that people think it's a slam dunk to win, to win Green Bay, but there is an expectation that they should win this game. Do, do you feel that? 
Yeah, definitely, Sean. I mean, that's that's the, <laughs> they're there. You know, I mean, they they. I mean, I talked to Dan Campbell about this. I asked him about it on Monday at the press conference, and you know, uh, they won big game in the season finale last year in Green Bay, and Aaron Rodgers out a loser at Lambeau as a Packer, and they beat Kansas City, asterisk or not, uh, in prime time, the biggest prime time game you could think of, right? Besides maybe the Super Bowl season opener, and they won that game. Um, this is a this is a big game, and they seem to be stepping up. And I was impressed. I mean, you know, the Falcons didn't look great, but part of that was you got to give the Lions credit for not making them not look great. So uh, you would, I, I, I'm picking the Lions to win this game. You know, even though there's a whole Lambo mystique and the home field advantage and this and that. Right, right now, I would say the Lions are in the Packers' heads a little bit when you think about what they did to them last year and how they're playing this year. And as I've said it before, they're, they were an overtime clean flip away from probably being 3-0 right now. Um, so I, I, I wouldn't want to play the Lions right now. And they, there should be an expectation. You know, they've earned that respect um, and the pressure, too, to have to win this kind of game. But it's almost a no-lose, a, a no-lose situation, right? I mean, if they lose, it's like, well, it was the Packers. They're in Green Bay and whatever. Um, you know, they're all Lions are a little dinged up too on top of that. So we'll see if Montgomery plays or Taylor Decker, but that offensive line still, even if, you know, it's it's still a little banged up no matter what. I think that you can't you can't hammer them too much unless they get handled and you know just crushed. But if it's a close game and they lose, understandable. But I think people expect them not only to make it competitive, but to easily win, easily be able to win this game. Do you, do you think they're going to go in? Who has who has the advantage here? Who has the psychological advantage, Sean? I don't know about psychological advantage. I, I think the teams are not that far apart in terms of talent. Um, I, I would take Jared Goff at this point uh, in his career over Jordan Love, right? Mm-hmm. At the at this point in his career, and that always makes a difference for sure. But uh, I, I don't think they're is too too much separating them so you got to give the edge because home field does matter i uh I, I believe that in football i mean maybe not quite as much as in college football but it, it still matters in the nfl i mean geez we've seen i mean you were there sunday when they beat atlanta you were there when they lost to seattle that, that atmosphere is is something and it it's got to count for something it's hard to quantify it you know, yeah, it, it helped what, the Chiefs right? and Arrowhead, and it helped the Lions against Seattle. You're right; home field is very it's you, it's, it's a crucial, right? Well, the numbers bear out. The numbers bear out that there, there's a home field advantage, right? So, how much is it worth? You don't know. I mean, obviously, not every team wins every game at home, but but uh, over the course of the season, the math supports that. It's just hard to say. Okay, is it worth three points, four points? I mean, the betters, what what do they give uh, home field advantage? Two and a half, three points, something like that. So maybe, so maybe they know something. I mean, they they're the ones with all the money stake. <laughs> so they've they've figured out the uh, they've turned social science into science <laughs> in terms of figuring out that number. But yeah, no, I I think I'd probably pick them to win. I mean, I'm going to have to pick for the free press. Uh, it's obviously the best part of the job, you know, is making is making predictions. But but I would, uh, yeah, I guess I would pick the Lions, you know. Yeah, and I think that there, with this, uh, I think this, a lot of this, uh, I don't know if a lot, but a fair amount of this game might come actually down to defense. And the Lions defense looked pretty good against the Falcons. And obviously, as you know, 
Hall of Fame candidate, Brian Branch, uh, rookie with three whole games under his belt, has looked really good. Um, but it's going to be interesting because he's going to be part of the game plan now for the Packers and maybe going forward if he keeps playing this way, like 11 tackles and a couple of pass defenses and three tackles for loss. I mean, he he was all over the field. He's been really good. Um, they have to account for him now, even as a rookie with just three games. Um, you know that they have to be aware of him. Uh, so this would be a, ni- a nice test. But I think those defenses, both defenses, I think the Packers gave up 10 points last week on defense and the Lions obviously gave up, you know, uh, just two field goals. So uh, that, that it may be a, a little bit of a, of a tighter struggle here, even though the both offenses are actually playing well, the Packers actually offenses, uh, I looked it up and they're, they're in the top 10. I mean, they're in point scored. So they should, you know, the Lions are maybe a little bit behind them, but the Lions, I think we, we, we were kind of waiting for them to be as explosive as we'd seen them last year, that hasn't quite happened. I mean, I'm in Ross St. Brown's playing well, but he's, you know, a little bit bothered by the turf toe. Um, the run game is a little bit, was quite a bit different without David Montgomery. So there's some things there, but Sam Laporte is stepping up. Um, it's not as explosive, as explosive as I thought it would have been by this point in the season, but uh, they're two and one easily could be three, you know? So, and I think, I think golf only had, uh, only had attempts, actually, even just attempts to two wide receivers. Four guys caught balls, and only two of them were wide receivers. So, um, But they won the game. So does it have to be textbook every time? Not necessarily. But if this offense gets going the way it should go, um, it that would make a huge difference to them. But until I think there's more health, and your favorite, favorite athletes in the world, the offensive line, uh, get completely healthy... I don't know if we'll see the offense hit at at, at all cylinders, but no, they, um, yeah, the they defense matter. might have to step up more. That's right, they matter, right? Turns out offensive linemen <laughs> they matter. Uh, they just don't have to be as as Kobe Sorsdahl and Graham Glasgow and Matt Nelson and uh, you know could tell you you don't have to be a first round pick to actually be a, a decent player on the offensive line. No, well, first round you picks. Know, Brian Branch is not a first round pick. Sam Laporta right. is not a first round pick. But you do, right. yeah, you do need offensive linemen. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's interesting how you are an expert in putting together a team and being a general manager and so forth, all the study you've done in the league over the years. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty impressive. But yeah, yeah. So, turns out uh, offensive linemen do matter. And, uh, yeah. when they, and good when, GMs pick them outside of the first round. Yeah, but sometimes they pick them in the first round too, right? So it's just, it's just they've done mm-hmm. that for 30, 40 years. It's yeah. not like you stop seeing that like with running backs where they are uh, they are occasionally still taking in the first round. I mean, the, the Lions have one and they play the team who has one in Atlanta. But, but you used to see a, a run of running backs in the top 10 picks. You just don't see that anymore. I don't, I've not noticed that same trend with, uh, with, with offensive tackles in particular. We're not really talking about guards and centers, are we, generally? We're talking about tackles. Right. Tackles, you still need elite tackles. tackles in particular, right? Right. So until that happens, I mean, yeah, maybe maybe there'll be a trend on that. But until that happens right now, the way it's played, it it, uh, it matters. The lines will be better when they get their guys back. To your point about Montgomery, for sure. I, I, but look, even when they get healthy, though, I mean, they were healthy in Kansas City, more or less. Uh, they still, now Kansas City may turn out to have a pretty good defense. They've not really let anybody score. Obviously, Chicago is not scoring on anybody, right? They just, they just blanked the, the or, or beat the mess out of the Bears. But 
so maybe Kansas City defense is, is going to end up being really good. But and in the Seattle, they had what thirty one. I just I don't know if Jamison Williams is going to make a difference or not. But the the receivers are not quite the same right now, are they? It, it yeah. Just, the, it, other, I mean, Laporte has helped make some of that difference. It's funny because Michigan is, is is a similar spot. They have a good receiver in Roman Wilson. And then, and then they got a really, really talented, fairly young tight end who they're starting to lean on more and more, just like the Lions are with Laporta. And you know, we've seen this overall in football lately. So maybe, I mean, the Chiefs won a Super Bowl with Kelsey as their best guy, and uh, after they lost some incredible receivers, you know, who, who we, we've just seen this a little bit lately, where that where you get a tight end and some good possession guys. And, Maybe you don't need all that. I don't know. What, what do you think? Well, I think it helps with the game plan for sure. Having a deep threat is always super important to to most offensive game plans in the NFL. You know, Khalif Raymond. You know, he's been playing well. He had he had a few catches. Um, Josh Reynolds disappeared after he had a couple of really good games to start the season, which was surprising. And he played a lot too, but uh, no targets. So. Um, I, you you know if Ben Johnson can get it done different ways, right? Even when they even when the Falcons took away Jameer Gibbs out of the backfield with short passes to get him into space, they did a good job of that. Um, you know they still they still got their yards. I mean they still found a way. You know and that that's that's a credit to Johnson and, and Jared Goff to to target four guys, you know, and you still win and without your lead running back and you win 20 to six. So if you don't have to, um, great. I don't know if that's sustainable. That's the only thing is you still would always like somebody with some speed on the outside. It changes the way the defense plays you, gives you more options, opens up more things. So I, I, I don't think they want to keep living that way. But if Jameson Williams he just came back, he you know, to the facility. He can start rehabbing and training with the with the team. Uh, not rehabbing, but training with the team for three weeks, and then he can play uh, week seven. So that that should help. But it's also going to be expecting a lot to for him to make an immediate impact. I would say, but just having him out there, I think, uh, possibly changes the way defensive coordinators approach the lines. But yeah, you don't you don't. Uh, if if you're a good coordinator, you, you draw good plays up and keep the defense, you know, honest and and have a little bit of balance. You can do a lot of things. You know, and that's what Ben Johnson's kind of showed us so far. Uh, not the explosiveness that we've seen quite, uh, especially last year, second half of last year, but it's there. They've been right there. The offense has been doing its part, and it was really nice for the defense to do their part and pick up the the team last week after a disappointing uh, game against Seattle. So this week it's going to be. You know, it's going to be tough, and the defense has to bring its own juice, right? They're not going to have the fans on their side in Green Bay. No, that's absolutely right. I, I feel like it's going to be a while before we really see what this offense can be. I mean, Williams is obviously part of that. The offensive line getting healthy. I mean, Montgomery is critical. Obviously, children we could do against Seattle and, and late against Kansas City. He's, he's, a, he's a nice, good back. But to me, it's not just that. It's also how they will eventually use... Gibbs in in combination with Montgomery, and really, really, um, you know, because I, I think you know, you're talking about Ben Johnson's creativity. I, I think there's a lot to uh, to sort of think about there and, and figure out. And so it it may be another six eight weeks before we really start to get a, a true feel of what this offense can be 
Well, Six to eight weeks. That's the season. That season's over. What are you talking about? Well, when, the, when the pieces are there, no, you know, late December. No, yeah, they'll be. Uh, I mean, they played three games, six weeks. You know, you got a bye week in there. Even if it's eight, that's that's still five or six, seven games left at the end of the year. Sometimes it just takes a while with health. And you know, Williams missing the first six games, so he's not just going to come back and be great right away. It's going to take him a few games. So that's what I mean. It it it, it may be a bit which is why it's critical that defense keeps uh, playing as close as uh, possible as it did against Atlanta and also Kansas City. I mean, Seattle was whatever. But, uh, no, they, they're going to have to really play complimentary football until until they're whole and sort of have some time to really, really see what they can be with, uh, with their pieces, I mean, to me. You know, the thing, one of the reasons I also really dislike the offensive line is – that everybody always makes a big deal, especially with the Lions, that, oh, this this group hasn't gotten a chance to play together. It's it's barely had one game to get. Well, there's five pieces. Someone's bound to get hurt. You know, you look across, everybody, someone's always hurt on the offensive line. There's just too many moving parts there. You know, they're already down to their, what, fourth right tackle, fourth, fourth string right tackle. You know, Vitae's probably done, right guard. Um, it's just a... I'm don't not I'm not I'm not trying to wish him any ill, but it's just a matter of time before Ragnar gets hurt again. I mean, he's a, constantly dealing with a toe thing; it's just managing it. He barely practices anymore because of that. So, uh, you know, Decker might come back, but it, you know, he's also up there. I mean, they're they're toward the uh, Decker and Ragnar, especially you know, two key pieces, but they're toward the end of their careers. You know, they're probably not going to be on the lines very much longer. So it's just, it's just age, it's just time, you know, and they've been really good players, but it, it happens. And now you got to start moving pieces around and Sewell to the left and everything. And, and Glasgow's plugging in. And, you know, so I think too much is made of like, oh, we have this, this perfect, you know, quintet here and it shall play and be together for 17 games. It's not going to happen. Um, it just doesn't happen anywhere in the league, really. People just aren't don't get that kind of health from elite players because by the time you're a really good player, you're usually a little bit older. But uh, even so, I think this run game should still be able to function. And I think Gibbs and, and the one good thing about running back is it doesn't change that much. It, you know, I mean, I think Gibbs talked about it that you know he's being asked to catch the ball a lot more than he was in college. Uh, but you know he's also he has a lot of experience doing that in any way. But you know running back, you know short passes, whatever it is, screens, uh, uh, whatever. But you, you know running up the middle, running off tackle, running whatever. I mean it, it's it's not the most complex. It's you know position to learn. So the learning curve isn't that that great. So we should I think we should see a lot more. Maybe the Jameson stuff. It might take a, a few weeks. You know two three. I think he plays two games and they have a buy or something. So. Uh, that might help, but he's also in the second year. So I think we should see what is this? This is going to be the end of September, sometime around the end of October, early November. We should we should have a good gauge of kind of where this offense is and what its capabilities are, assuming health for the most part on Laporta um, and uh, Amon Ra. You know, that's another little bit of a concern, but you know he's playing well, managing managing the issue with the turf toe, but. It, you, you're you're right though. I mean, if it's if it's good now, if the offense is pretty good, decent to good now, should be it could be much better. Of course, if they get a lot of injuries, 
things that could be much worse. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, and there's promise. I think it's I think it's you know it's it's still a fun it's a fun offense to watch and it has a lot of potential. You know they're gonna have to maybe maybe lean on it a little more this week if the defense doesn't come up as well as it did against Atlanta. Yeah, no, it's just going to, uh, yeah, because of the moving parts and some of the missing pieces, it's just going to take a while. It's kind of like last year, defensively, they were they were uh, really, really bad, historically bad, and then they and then they got themselves together, and, and that's when they went on the winning streak, right? The defense went from the worst in the league to, you know, I don't know, somewhere in the mid-high teens, uh, if I'm not mistaken, statistically. The offense isn't obviously that bad, but uh, but sometimes it just takes a while. You know, who knows? Maybe they'll come around in a hurry. I just I just feel like with the with some of the young, you know, you heard Jared Goff the other day talking about Laporte has just started to scratch the surface. It's like Jared Goff said Sunday, Carlos. Sam Laporte has just started to figure it out um, a little bit. You know, he's got a long way to go. And Jameer, it's the same with Jameer Gibbs. And you're right, running backs don't have the, the learning curve a middle linebacker does, or does even the slot. Uh, defensive back in the way Brian Branch does or a center does or uh, obviously a quarterback but but there still is a learning curve and and if so, so if you're a Lions fan that's you could look at what they've done and what they're doing the fact that they've been missing a few pieces and the fact that these you know there's critical skill spots at the at the tight end and the and the running back slot back slash you know slot receiver whatever hybrid gives is going to be you know there's there's some room there to um to to improve a, a decent amount I, I think you 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 mentioned that the lines were eighth in yards but 13th in points that speaks a little bit of the red red zone issues i don't know if it's fair to say they have issues three games in but we we did see that a few times against atlanta that's why they only scored 20 points but yeah I, to me there's you know the reason to be somewhat optimistic that this offense can get back to where you saw it a year ago. Oh, for sure. You should be optimistic. I mean, Laporte is off to a really good start. Um, it'll be interesting because, you know, the league, the NFL is a league of adjustments. And, you know, the same way Brian Branch is, you know, they're going to they're gonna have to be aware of him. Opposing offenses, opposing defenses are going to start watching Sam Laporta too a little bit more. Uh, probably not giving as much space and focusing on him. And that's where it's just the more weapons you have, right? You can't guard everybody. You can't guard Jamison Williams and Amon Ross St. Brown and Laporta and Gibbs and, you know, so you got to give something up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he's he's off to a good start. And the, the biggest thing I think that Campbell, you know, and Goff have talked about is just how much trust he's engendered uh, by being reliable, not making the same mistakes, you know, repeatedly, and certainly they say even say not twice, which is incredible. But yeah, when you gain when you gain somebody's trust like that, and don't forget, I mean, Jared Goff was, you know, he really he played well with TJ Hawkinson. It, maybe there's affinity he has there for the tight end position. Um, sometimes guys just click with that, right? I mean, Mahomes and Kelsey, and uh, it's an important an important piece um, for the quarterback if they utilize utilize it correctly. So if Laporta can be the new Hawkinson for him, uh, that bodes well. Um, but yeah, they could be scratching the surface on your right. I mean, this could be, um, I would, I would only expect it to get better. Assuming relative health, I would assume the offense to get uh, better red zone and every wall points, everything efficiency. Well, I'm with you. Uh, it, it makes sense. And we will see. We got, uh, the, the Lions at the Packers Thursday night. You will be there. I'll uh, look forward to seeing 
what you write, what you come up with, um, you know, your musings, your stylings, that'll be fun. But uh, in the meantime, we need to take a break. We're going to come back and talk about Miguel Cabrera. And I've also got a question I want to pose to you about an unrelated subject to Cabrera, but it is a sports-related. Um, so we'll get to that and, uh, and get to more Carl's and Sean uh, right after the break. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carlos and Sean. Carlos, Miguel Cabrera is playing his final two series this week. His final home game will be Sunday, I want to say against Cleveland, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And, um, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna be, there's going to be a ceremony to honor him on Saturday, and then Sunday's going gonna be, gonna to be it after all, all these years. And, and I want to get your thoughts on Cabrera and, I'll share a few of mine, but but before we do, real quick, that I do want to ask you a question that I've been I've been thinking about, and I actually wrote about it yesterday. And I talked about this. If we can do a little cross promotion here, I talked about this uh, with Mike Elric, who's our colleague who writes a really good investigative column uh, for the D- Detroit Free Press, and he runs a little podcast called The Soul of Detroit. And we we, we de- not debated, but we kind of mulled over this question. I was at the, a press conference. At Schumacher Hall Monday, uh, Harbaugh's week, the press conference, they brought J.J. McCarthy out, the quarterback, and he was. Uh, I was talking about Harbaugh being back, and I asked McCarthy about Harbaugh being back, and Harbaugh about McCarthy being back. Anyway, at one point he was asked, why were you so much better against Rutgers and Bowling Green? And instead of giving a football answer, cliche, whatever, he just said flat out the, the pressure that it, that it got to him. And then he elaborated a little bit, and then talked in detail, some detail about how much time he had spent with his coaches and Harbaugh in particular, trying to analyze it and figure out where it was had come from. He said he never felt that before in his life, and people would think, "Well, it's Bowling Green." Anyway, I'm just curious what you thought of that because you don't often hear athletes say, "I was struggling with pressure," which you could also say anxiety. It was, you know, and I was like, "Good for you for saying that," right? But. It, it was interesting, and I, and I guess we were talking about this with, with Mike, and I'm curious what you think. Do you see that this might be more and more something people might talk to just because of the way society thinks about mental health issues now and thinks about anxiety and depression? I think McCarthy talked about depression, but do, could you see that this might be a conversation we might have more and more with athletes moving forward? Uh, I don't think it'll be a regular thing, you know, Um I think it's uh, you obviously wrote a column about it. You're, tri- you're tricking me into re- talking about your column is really no. We don't need to talk about my column. It was just it was. I meant to, I meant to mention that earlier, and I was just thinking about it. And I, w- I wanted your take on it because it's it's you know we've heard some athletes say yeah I've struggled with anxiety with depression. They're usually professionals, right? You know we've seen it with tennis, right? Uh, uh, Naomi Osaka talked about it and, and taking time off. We've seen some at you know, the Detroit Tiger Austin Meadows hasn't talked about it, but right. I mean, so we're, we're seeing it more and more, but it was just, I don't, I haven't seen it too minute, too much from college kids, uh, excuse me, college athletes, athletes, but we have, I have heard coaches, you know, kind of off the record talk about it from time to time. Right. Yeah. 
saying, hey, well, so and so struggling. But so no, I was just curious what you what, what you think. Uh, yeah, I mean, for sure, it, it, it's if you have even the smallest uh, glancing familiarity with sports, uh, playing ping pong with your, you know sister and brother or whatever as a kid, you know their pressure is real in sports. The pressure to perform, the pressure to 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 overcome adversity. It's you know, that's why sports resonates within our society is because it speaks to a lot of the struggles that you have as a person. Uh, but they're encapsulated in the form of a game, right? Uh, of uh, a finite competition. And it's always there. But whether they're going to talk about it or not, I think that at least right now, Sean, even though a lot of teams, pro teams, college teams, the employee um, uh, mental health experts, um, uh, mental health coaches, uh, that's been going on for a while. I think it's still seen as there's still still a little bit of a bias or where stigma uh, is that is that what you're a stigma stigma is the perfect word for that when you admit to a frailty any kind of frailty but especially mental health and i think the good part about it is people are still scared of it because they don't know how to deal with it they don't they don't understand it a long time ago when titus young was going through his struggles you know we've talked about this a little bit before and and uh you know i have a background in my family with mental health issues. And when it happened, I recognized it pretty quickly that this is not just a guy being a jerk. And that was what a lot of people thought. A lot of the reporters thought it. And I, I did speak with them and told them, listen, this isn't what you think it is. It's not just being a jerk because he's being a jerk, whatever. But the problem is, especially in sports and the whole landscape of sports, the whole culture of sports, it's not oh boy, like the, you know, what is this? Let's understand this. And people want to think well, what is it? Is it bipolar? Is it, you know, schizophrenia? Is it, let's identify it and give it a pill. Let's give it a name. Let's give it a, a, a fix. And how many weeks is it? It's just like people want to treat mental health like it's a shoulder sprain. Is it a grade two or grade three? How long? You know, and that's not how mental health works. That's not how, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious by now. Um, but that's what's scary to, to society, but also to teams, to, to personnel people, to coaches, is they don't, they can't put their arms around it that easily. Um, so this is maybe you're right. I mean, this could be a stepping stone, a, a brick in the wall, right? That uh, another example of hey, if a high, high athlete, high level athlete, JJ McCarthy, speaks of this openly, and 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 you know that's only a good thing. That's only that only paves a way for other people. And I, I'm not actually that shocked to hear him say because the whole thing of this the, the meditation of this right. post and right. all that you know right. that's different we haven't really seen that that much from other players so i hope it does do you think you think this opens the door for more honest I, I, conversations know, I, I mean it, it could it could it, it was startling when it came out of his mouth when when the words were coming out of his mouth it was startling but then on the other hand it wasn't because of how we've come to know him a little bit and he didn't go into super, super great, great detail. But for a quarterback in a place like Michigan, to sit and say the pressure got to me, and I've never experienced that before, and then I had to take some, a lot of talking to figure out what it was. And he was talking about breaking it down and diagnosing it, right? I mean, he was talking in therapeutic terms in a way. Mm. And um, I, I was just, and it was what was interesting, Carl, is how comfortable he was talking about it. 
Hmm. And um, which I should have written. I, I, I didn't think about that until today, actually. But uh, you know, sometimes on a deadline. But but just I was thinking back about it because we were talking about it with 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 Mike Elric and or ML. Uh, we might get in trouble for not calling him ML, but <laughs> that's Mister Elric. <laughs> yes, that, that's Mister Elric. No, so we were kind of talking through it. You know, sometimes after you've written something, you're like, oh, you know, shoot. But uh, but yeah, no, he was he was fairly comfortable talking about it. So I, I don't know. I, I I could see a world where people aren't going to divulge specific details necessarily, but where they're more and more comfortable saying, hey, I need a break, or I I was struggling with that and I had to work through that and so-and-so helped me with that without getting into... I could see... Because you know how it is. You, brick is the word you use. That's a, that's, a, that's a good analogy. It's a good metaphor, whatever. It's little by little. And then all of a sudden, you're in a, 10 years from now, you know, it's common. I, I mean, yeah. not that McCarthy's starting it, but you know what I mean? I could absolutely see that. You know, society t- tends to change that way. It's like a a ripple and, and the water and all of a sudden it's at shore. And, it takes uh, time. It, it takes yeah. time. I mean, the way that, the way that we used to talk about concussions, like the guy, the guy got his bell rung and nobody wanted to talk about it. Right, nobody right. Wanted, it was, it was voodoo and, or not voodoo, taboo to talk about it. And now people are more open about CTE. Voodoo. It could be yeah, voodoo. It could be <laughs> but yeah, you have to you have to be willing. And it's it's hard. I mean, mental health is tough because it, it's not just one thing. It's not just oh, I struggle with this one part of my life. There's other things attached to it. And as you as you find out, you know, when you talk to people who who have issues, um, struggles, mental health struggles, you know, it's not simple. It, 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 there's there's a whole lot to it, and it's a constant struggle. Um, so it's good that it's it's good that he is willing to talk about it to some extent, but also that he's willing to work on it and and recognizes he needs to work on it. And I'm sure I will bet you there are a lot of high high level star star athletes who deal with this all the time. They're in therapy, they're on medication, yeah. so, they're managing it, and it's a struggle. I mean that that world, you know, you and I have been around it for a long time, and. Sometimes I just can't believe how these people aren't paralyzed by the kind of pressure I agree. that they have. I mean, just you and I have, you know, sometimes people have, I'm sure they've asked you, people ask me, is it hard to write articles where lots of people read them and they criticize you? And it's like, it, it can be, you know, and it's not for everybody, but that's also not 60,000 people booing me when I drop a ball, <laughs> you know, true. and go into it's Instagram true. and like, it's let's true. kill this guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. Threatening. Yeah. No, no kidding. So no kidding. yeah, it's a uh, good, good for JJ. I hope, uh, I hope he continues that path. I hope uh, he inspires other people to share their, their struggles and their journey. Um, it would be great to see, you know, it was, it was a really good column, Sean, by the way, I'm glad that uh, I was hoping we may talk a little bit about Michigan, um, but you know, just this one interlude on, uh, you know, little we we stole a little bit of thunder from hell, yes, but whatever. You know, we came first, so we get to claim some territory. Uh, well, I, I, the, blue I, wall, I the blue wall I, continues, I, by the way. I know, you know, and, and I feel bad if if I can give up to hold a little inside baseball here. This is just going to sound crazy, but I was originally scheduled to go to Michigan State uh, Monday, right? And um, and because Tom Izzo was going to talk because basketball's starting, and I wanted to write about. Just how the I can't I, I don't remember the last time but for for Spartans fans basketball can't come soon enough right so <laughs> so that that's basically why I was going to go right and then and we got late word and so our sports editor Kirk texted me and said hey you know on second thought uh, McCarthy's talking and 
and I had talked to him about their relationship a little bit. So I went, was just curious. I wanted to ask them each about the other and being back with each other. And I wanted to, and so I was prepared to write that. And I, and I dealt with that a little bit and Harbaugh ended up giving a really good football answer at one point, but yeah, sometimes you just, you don't know where it's going to take you. So, but I didn't want to talk about the column, but I did want to ask you specifically about that just in general, because, you know, you're always very thoughtful, um, overall, but specifically it matters like this, right? You, you have some experience uh, as you alluded to. And, and, uh, so I'm sorry in our pre pre show meeting that I forgot to say that, but, uh, no, but I, know. I for- get, I get, I understand. I'm, I'm aboard the, you're the, I'm the goose to your maverick. I got, I would get on the F 16. I don't know where we're going. I may be shot out and hit the canopy that that happens once in a while. And you know, if you got to sacrifice the goose, you got to sacrifice the goose. As long as you don't break your neck, you're, you're good. You know? Yeah. That's fine. You know, you know, you know I mean? but the thing is, Mab went after goose in the ocean. You probably just swim away and you know, you be like me? a trip. You know, I would jump right in, and you know that. You know, it's, <laughs> you, you, don't project. You might swim away. <laughs> that's some. Uh, that's some grade A level projection right there. Is, is what that is. That's good to know. I'm never going to be in the water around you because knowing you're not going to jump in. <laughs> you just you. use. You'd lose, use. You'd use my limp. But you know, limp, lifeless, floating body is a as a flotation device. Probably no, 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 no. Hey, don't come guys, that. come get me, guys. Don't say that. By the way, I have enjoyed your. Not that we're going to go back to the lines, but I've enjoyed your road to the playoffs. I feel like you're. you're it's almost an homage to our former colleague Michael Rosenberg, who wrote a road to Owen sixteen or whatever it is. And yeah, but, but this time <laughs> it'll be fun. And oh, also, oh, hey, Mike had fun with Owen 16. He that was did, he call. did, but but it's such a but you know, he was having fun, but the fans were not right? the, the fans were not having fun at all. You you <laughs> might be able to have fun and the fans could have fun too. We'll see. Yeah, but uh, thank yeah, you. I've I've enjoyed uh your spin on that, your take on that. So all right, Miguel Cabrera. I, I don't feel like we've talked about him enough. <laughs> I don't feel like we've written about him enough. Um, well we haven't really in ten years probably. Oh God, I wrote. I've written about him two or three times in the last several years. But you're right. Yeah, there was a stretch where that's uh, he, when he, he Carlos. This is, this is the best way to put it. He was so good, and I was covering the Tigers a lot during his peak. Uh, I was a, a sort of a part-time beat writer, actually. But but it was hard not to write about. Him. He was so good, and and every few games would do something that would just cause people the next day back when people were still going to offices to say, did you see what Cabrera did the night before? You know what I mean? Or they would, they would be on the radio listening to the game in the summer and they knew he was about to come up and they'd run inside and, and turn the TV on. I remember people talking about him like that, right? He was mm-hmm. appointment. That's the best way to say it. That's a cliche, but he was appointment television at his best. Yes. Yeah, he was, he was always, it was, uh, I remember when I would cover, uh, when I do some backup games here and there, and we used to have a thing uh, called game in the box, game in a box, and it was basically little short little items to take the place of the traditional game story. And uh, one thing that we always did, or I always did at least, was uh, how did Miggy do? And because people always want to know how did that was the question, right, from fans or friends. It was always like, hey, how did how did Miggy do last night? Um, and he usually did something, and he was just. He he was one at the time, and when when Victor Martinez was on the team, those two were some of the best professional hitters I've seen. Uh, just uh, knew how to work the count, knew it was coming, being patient. 
you know, uh, seizing the opportunity when they could with power, but also uh, going to the way when they had to and, you know, slapping a single and getting a run home, moving the guys over, whatever it was. Uh, but Cabrera, I mean, there's been so few people you've seen do it the way he has with, with uh, you know, uh, power and average. The only thing he didn't really do is steal bases. <laughs> never, never a speed merchant, um, but also a pretty good fielder too. I mean, third and first, uh, you know, he was he was a fun a fun marvel to behold at the plate. Um, I don't think we're ever going to see anybody like him um, for the Tigers organization, at least probably in our lifetimes. Yeah, not not for a while. I mean, I always thought of him as like Tony Gwynn. I mean, we're dating ourselves with power. I mean, he he handled the bat like right, right. Like Tony, Tony could play right field though. He was a no, pretty good yeah, fielder. Right. Yeah, yeah. But just at the plate, I felt. I mean, he hit like Tony Gwynn. I mean, he, he it's like he held the bat and batted like a little second baseman. Only he had the power of a first baseman or, or a designated hitter. It was. Uh, mm-hmm. It was. Well, uh, it was, was quite the combination. And that's an interesting comparison because Tony Gwynn did. He did. He was probably the grandfather of all this uh, uh, video analysis. You know, back then when you had grainy VHS tape, uh, he just grinded on the tape, watching tape and tape and tape of his swing of pitchers breaking down everything. And I, I just wonder, like, how much how much studying did it did come and play came into play for Miguel Cabrera because. I don't know. I don't get a sense he was like Mr. Studious. Like, I don't know if a lot of this was just talent and experience and knowing what's coming, understanding the game, understanding pitching, uh, you know, his own swing, situational stuff, whatever it is. And just raw, I mean, power is power. It's really hard to teach power. So you got you got it or you don't. But um, but I just wonder. I, and And that's one of the things that I don't, think we've ever understood about him or will is where did this come from how did he get this good why was he this good how did he you know you you never you i think when you if someone is that kind of a worker you tend to hear it from teammates um how hard they work and you know prep and all that but i don't know he's still gonna end up being somewhat of a mystery to us but uh but he was a, a marvelous mystery to watch for so many years yeah, I, I feel like, uh, I mean, I wrote a long, long piece on him. It's been a while now where I kind of broke down all the different parts of what made him such a good hitter. And he did study. And um, and he was a really serious worker. It's just, he he never talked, right? I mean, he just didn't talk about much himself. And, and his teammates would talk some, but they... It, just the way they were talking about it was different, but no, he did do some study. He was blessed with a encyclopedic memory. And so when you would ask, okay, how does he study? Whatever people would say, okay, yeah, fine. He's in the film room. He is. And I remember his coaches talking about that. I remember Lord McClendon talking about that, but, but they would be distracted by the fact that he, he, he could remember all his at bats, right? I mean, he, he could say, remember, you know, I was, face this picture this year, whatever. He 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 had a crazy storage in his brain and he could pull it up on cue. And so that's that allowed him, right? So maybe he didn't have to study quite as much. Although from what I was told he studied like everybody else. But um yeah, he was just blessed with this ridiculous memory. 
and and he can see things and you know obviously the hands and the feet and the balance and the the eyes uh, the eyes are ridiculous but i remember ron gardenhire when he was with the twins telling me one time i went and sat in his office telling me one time about how he just never seen anybody so relaxed at the plate you know you think about the, the, the batter's box is is such a can be such a place of epic struggle oh. you know or success is you know what a 30 percent yeah the success is a 70 percent failure rate right yeah so it's just you just think of these these classic sort of <laughs> great tragedy terms of of what how hard it is to hit a baseball in that struggle and he treated it like a sandbox Right. And just, you know, yeah. hey, you know, let's let's just take the fire truck and roll it through and here I'm gonna take a pail over here and put some sand in it and toss it in the air. But Gardenhire talked about that. He'd get in the he'd get in the batter's box and he, he said he'd swing, he'd step out, maybe one leg, kick that right leg, swing that right leg back so he'd open up towards the opposite, towards the dugout, you know, because he was a right hander, right? So towards the dugout. So he could look in and Gardner said, yeah, he was, he was trying to steal our signs or he would just sort of stare and try to mess with us just to have the wherewithal and the comfort level to be completely in tune with all your surroundings, the, not just the fans, which he did also, but just everything about being at a baseball game and playing in a baseball game and to do all that while you're in the batter's box, along with knowing what's coming from the pitcher. I mean, that, yeah, that, that's kind of ridiculous. He's always seemed uh, so at ease on the diamond everywhere, you know, during, during batting practice, uh, you know, you name it. It just seems like that's where he belongs. He just seems comfortable and he always seemed, he never seemed nervous. And you see that from the, from the very best hitters. Uh, I don't know if I ever saw Tony Gwynn look nervous, you know, all those years playing against my Dodgers, uh, you know, and the, those guys, you just see them, they just, I, there, there's a comfort there, you know, whether it's, it's, uh, you know, belief in their ability. I think with Cabrera, he enjoyed the game. He just had a lot of fun playing it. Loved it. Loved so it. chatty. He loved, I think that's one of the things that I mean, I'll give him credit that, you know, he didn't grouse about not playing at first base anymore. And he really loved playing first base because he got to talk to everybody who came to first base. So he was super chatty and social and, he was closer to the fans. And now that he doesn't play in the field, you know, he's not near the fans anymore um, going after foul balls and whatever, throwing a ball to the stand. So um, that, I think he holistically just loved the game. And that was, that, that was part of it. I mean, when you really enjoy something, you tend to do better at it. So that was a little bit of the magic, I think for him, but um, yeah, he was just, just, uh, such a such a complete batter you know like you said all the gamesmanship all the just so he reminded me i mean the the guy one of the guys i've seen I mean, like in you know your your favorite sport hockey the one player i've seen who was the most attuned to everything that was going on was wayne gretzky you know when he was at the kings i really watched him a lot and he just knew i mean that guy could spot too many men on the ice before the guy jumped on the ice probably, but he just, he just had, you know, eyes on the back of his head, top of his head. He just knew everything that was going on um, all at once. And Cabrera kind of reminded him that he just hyper aware of everything that was going on, 
you know, what the other dugout was doing, what the other players were doing, what the pitchers doing, what the, you know, the signs, the, whatever it is. Um, I mean, if he, if he'd been a faster player, actually, he would have been a hell of a base dealer. Probably he probably had that potential in him, uh, intellectually, but, uh, yeah, he was just, uh, just fun to watch. And I mean, you know, Martin, Victor Martinez reminded me of him in that way a little bit too, as a hitter, um, being really aware of what was going on. But, um, unfortunately haven't been able to really, it's interesting, right? Cause you see it now, you still see the comfort, you still see the, he's, he's a shadow of the player he used to be. He's been that for a while now, too long. It's been hard to kind of watch the end, but, um, but yeah, he still kind of has that Cabrera swagger. Like you, you couldn't tell if you just saw him no. coming up to the plate, you wouldn't know like what year is this? You know, if you just saw a blind spot or a blind shot of him coming to the plate, is it Pete Cabrera or 2023 Cabrera, you know, still has the same demeanor. He does. And credit to him for that, but you're right. It has been hard to watch in a lot of ways. And, um, it's always tough when somebody's that good and then they, they fall off and especially the length of time, but he hasn't been that good in six, seven years. And, and that's a long time. In, I mean, right? It's a long time in our life. It's a long, long time in sports. Yes. Right? I mean, sports lives are... Sports years are almost like dog years that way. It's almost three to one. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's probably three. It's, it's probably three to one. And so Seven to one. Just, Come on. Yeah. So it feels, it feels almost like a, a generation ago in a way. <laughs> and yet he's still here. And it's... You know, now it's, it's fine because it's close to the end. You can look back and it's... It, Right. So that's good. But it's just, it has been tough to watch. And it always is when somebody's great. And then when they hang on and then they keep hanging on. And then you start thinking about, I mean, because you're watching mortality to some degree, you know, it's sporting mortality, but there's part of it that leaks into your own mortality. You, you just do. You know, it's funny. I'm, as we're recording, I'm sitting at a desk and there's a picture that I just caught my, caught out of the pub. Uh, was corner of my eye and, and I'm mowing the lawn and the house that I'm in now and um, my my son, my youngest son is helping me push and he's probably two. And I look at that photo and, you know, <laughs> it's just, it, it went by in a flash, right? And so when, when we watch these great players, I think sometimes, it, whatever it is in your own life, you, you think about that. Maybe not um it might be subconscious on some level, but I think you think about that. I, I think you feel that maybe more than you think about it. And that's part of what makes it a little painful because let's be real. You say it's hard to watch what we're really talking about. It's kind of painful. And you mentioned this earlier in sports, the, the what sports can do and how that it's life. And you're talking about pressure and all these other things. Well, this is part of it too, is watching, watching the inevitable come. Well, it's not, I mean, it's not me always it's not. It's not painful to me. I mean, I, I was, I, I guess maybe if I were a Tigers fan, it'd be different, but just, uh, you know, you see this in other sports. I mean, I, I felt the same thing with Albert Pujols too. It was the same thing where a great player trying to hang on, trying to, you know, still, you know, probably fool himself that he could still keep doing it. Um, but he wasn't a key part of his team, you know, chewing up, you know, roster spot or whatever. That to me was the the difficult part about watching Cabrera is knowing that the Tigers could potentially use, they could definitely use the salary space. Um, which players could they have gotten instead of paying Cabrera or whatever, 20 
plus million a year. Um, that's where it was unfortunate. And I think in an honest moment, I think even the biggest Miggy fan would probably say, yeah, it would have been five years ago. It would have been nice for him to just bow out somehow, have some yeah, kind of potential no buyout, which doesn't exist in baseball. So that's why they keep playing forever. But no um, that's the unfortunate part of it. But, you know, um, he was yeah, that's, he was great. That's a fan frustration, and it's been there with him, and it's been tough, and it was a... It was obviously not a very. It was not a great contract for the Tigers, and all of that is true. But it's still, there's something deeper there to me that gets down to, and it's true. And any, anybody that loves any sport, especially if they have a, uh, they have shared that sport with somebody that's older than them, or a lot younger than them, and it just marks the passage of time. And, and we tend to mark, we tend to mark that time. There's there are demarcation lines in sports, either sometimes through championships or near championships. Or just flat out greatness, an era of some great. We've saw, we've seen this with Tiger Woods. And so, when somebody fades away, maybe in the prime, you were watching it with your dad or your mom or your son or your daughter or whatever. And and then when that fades away, maybe that person's not around anymore, right? Or maybe they're at a different stage of life. So there's so many things that we we just think about without even realizing we think about when we're watching somebody like Cabrera struggle for so long after being so so good and being so riveting right and compelling and having our full attention and then it just sort of fades away and that's just life is like that anyway yeah it's about done <laughs> <laughs> musings on mortality with sean windsor that's a that's a nice positive note yeah i know i mean but it's just it's just you know we pass it down right and we we do, and, and we, that's how. That's well, let sports, me ask you: Is there is there a player, beautiful that way? Is there a favorite player you ever had who you felt that way about that you were really sad to see them watch their decline or the inevitability of them leaving? Um, I, you know, I felt that way a little bit with Tiger. It's not that I loved Tiger, the human being. He was so thrilling, and so so good, and so new that. Feeling like you are a part of uh, uh, watching that and sharing that and hearing all of that, yeah, that 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 was tough when he all of a sudden wasn't there because he's not been re- that has not been replaced, right? I mean, it never not, will be. Not not golf. I mean, you could argue. I mean, there are a few other. I mean, some some folks would talk about Messi that way, right? You know. Um, when I was a kid, that was Tony Dorsett, but he was not, he was not that for the American football public for me he was, but, um, but yeah, no, I, it's just, it's just greatness that way. All right. When yeah. something's, when somebody's competitive and a champion and great, and also maybe beautiful in the way they play, mm-hmm. when you get all those things together, you know, like Kobe or Michael Jordan was like that. Right. So. Yeah, that's when they really transcend and uh, and and mark the passage for me. And Cabrera, I think, had—I mean, he was beautiful to watch. Let's be, if we're being honest, right? He really was. Oh yeah, yeah. He was. He was. It was. He was gorgeous to watch. The just the the movement, the how fluid and graceful at that size. It was almost unfathomable to be that big and move. You remember? I mean, he was like a he was like a dancer up there. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to it's hard to remember him being that way at this point but (laughs) but uh he was he was all right on that note um let's take one more quick break and come back with your favorite thing not mine but yours 
We'll be right back. Welcome back to Free Press Sports with Carl and Sean. Set time of the show. Your favorite thing. What's My favorite thing, which is your favorite thing. Yeah, which is, whatever it is this week. Is I don't know if you can steal this one, Sean. I'll give you credit if you can if you can figure out an artful okay. way to steal it. So let me go first, as usual. Right, my favorite thing was um, every Sunday when the Lions play at home, right? We go to the game. So we take a shuttle. There's a media shuttle drops us off a, about a block or so from Fort Field. So you got to make your way into the stadium. You got to walk past a lot of fans and stuff. Uh, there tends to be this one guy. I think he's the same guy. I'm pretty sure I've seen him several times. And he has a megaphone and a speaker. And he's, uh, I don't know what he's railing against or for exactly. Um, some religious undertones, I believe. It's hard to make sense of what exactly he's getting at. But he was kind of in a different spot. And I was walking past him. Very kind of isolated area. Not a lot of foot traffic in that area. And he's just, I noticed as people are walking past him, he's kind of just insulting them and telling them, you know, they're going to hell and this and that, and you don't know what you're doing and why, you know, you, you, you people just don't, whatever it is, it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't understand exactly what his point is, but he tends, he was berating people essentially. And as I walked past him, it was just me and him. And I kind of, I try not to make eye contact so to not encourage these kind of people, but he clearly saw me and I was wearing white pants. And, uh, and he said, he said, uh, look at you. And this isn't a megaphone, right? And there's not a lot of people around. So it's mostly just me hearing it. It's like, look at you, look at you with your, he said, your, your butt face, your face looks like a butt and your white, and you're wearing white, you look like you're wearing a wedding dress. You're, you have a butt face and you're wearing a wedding dress. And it just, at first, it, it was such a specific pointed jab. You know, it kind of like threw me off and I kind of got mad. Like, but I, I was like, I shouldn't respond. But I don't know why, Sean, but throughout the day, every time I kept remembering him saying, you have a face that looks like a butt. You have a butt face. I couldn't stop laughing or giggling about it. Just the idea of a butt face, which I can't even I can't even imagine what <laughs> why he would have said that. But it's actually pretty creative to come up with it on the spot. Maybe it's a, a generic uh, insult he uses, kind of like Don Rickles, right? Uh, hockey puck or whatever. But uh, it kind of sort of made my day that day. And even into Monday, I kept thinking about it and thinking about my butt face. So um, I was I was kind of grateful to have <laughs> a little bit of something that sometimes just tickles a funny bone in you that um, he certainly didn't mean it to be funny, but I found it pretty funny for the, for the first two days <laughs> that I kept remembering it. So, um, so yeah, my butt face, Sean, that was, that was my favorite thing this last week. Follow that. Uh, steal it. I dare you to steal that. No, I'm not going to steal it. That's awesome. No, my favorite thing was, uh, you know, covered, covered Michigan home games, uh, similar with the Lions games, home Lions games. Um, you know, you go to these games and, look, you know, you, you we probably should be smarter to eat before and after, but sometimes you can't. You end up eating in the press box. It's not always the healthiest food. That's not a criticism or a complaint at all. But one thing that I love about both Michigan home games and Lions home games is the walk after. And in Ann Arbor, um, 
I live a little too far away from the stadium to to walk all the way, but I but I usually walk for half halfway at least, especially this time of the year and going into October. The leaves start to change, and I cut through kind of an older neighborhood, and uh, you just get to, just walking. It's it's I walk for price like I said, maybe 30, 30, 40 minutes or so before I finally get uh, picked up. But I love that. And, and for the Lions games, I, I don't, don't normally take the shuttle. Um, I walk. And that's not near as far as the way I walk uh, or the distance in Ann Arbor. But I just like that walk after being at a game and sitting and, and writing and sometimes eating, you know, a chili dog or whatever it is. Although I did not have one this past Sunday. Hopefully you're proud of me. I did have a, an ice cream cone, though. <laughs> but uh, but it, that walk just feels so good. You're stretching legs. You've been sitting there, and um, yeah, that's that's my favorite thing. I, I did I did it on back to back days this weekend, so that's helpful because you know I'm not the biggest uh, exercise guy. I used to be the the things that used to keep me in shape. I can't do anymore because of injuries, and so walking is one of the few things I can do. So I enjoy that. So that was it. Yeah, you walked off the, uh, the ice cream bar, so that's that's good. It's a call it even. Yeah, I don't know. It's probably ice cream bar one, me zero. You know, I don't know if it's <laughs> even, but uh, but it's better than five zero. How about that? Yes, yes. Well, that's right. nice. I like. To, I I will be happy to think of you uh, trespassing across people's lawns in Ann Arbor to cut through to get to your neighborhood. So that's that's yeah. A nice no, thought. I really do. I I I, I'm, I'm, I don't pretend I'm in Britain where there's no property and you just walk wherever you want, but. Uh, no, there's property over there. But uh, no, I, I, I use the sidewalks, man. Good. Good. I'll be, I mean, I'll be, you, I'll probably, be rooting for you not to get mugged. You probably walk in the middle of the street. I do not you, like the because walk. Because you own the street. You own the street. I've had to walk a few times from Ford Field to the parking structure where we park about a mile away or so. And I don't like it at night. Not, you know, it's, it's a little different now. I think when I started covering the team in the mid-2000s, it was a little dicier. Very few people around now. It's kind of people are partying the whole time and whatever. It's not. It's a different vibe. But uh, I didn't like having an expensive computer that I did not own on my shoulder walking through, you know, uh, the mean streets of downtown Detroit that have certainly changed quite a bit. But uh, especially in the winter, Sean, when it gets cold and icy and whatever, rainy, um, that's not a walk I take. But yeah, right, this weekend great. was nice. Rainin's not great. I don't mind it in the cold either. But um, because you can easily warm yourself up. But in any case, um, all right, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Who, who are we thanking? We got to thank producer Robin Chang because he's got a lot of work ahead of him. We uh, had some technical difficulties, as usual. Uh, another Paul Thirteen issue with uh, the podcast. Um, yeah, my fault this time for sure. And uh, we have to thank executive producers Kristen Crawford and Anjanette Delgado. And editor of the Free Press, Nicole Avery Nichols. But Sean, you know every week who is the most important person we have to thank. The listeners who uh, take their time to, to hang out with us. So we're, we're grateful. And uh, obviously you can find this Free Press podcast, which is called Free Press Sports with Carlson Sean, which is a long name. And if I had my way, I would rename it to just the Carlos Menares show. I think that's a lot pithier. <laughs> And more people would listen to me today. But you can find it wherever you find your favorite podcast, Apple, Spotify. When you get there, subscribe, rate us, give us a shout, let us know what you think. Until next week, Carlos, when we are back and you are back from Green Bay, enjoy enjoy Wisconsin, by the way, and uh, have fun at the game. But yeah, until next week, when we uh, 
are going to be back with this show, right? I hope. We soon. Yes. Yes, okay. we will be. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad you're gonna. I'm glad you're gonna be there, and uh, I'll join you once more. All right. Until then, uh, we'll talk to you soon.